0: Man, it is well with my soul. What a sweet way to enter. Life has its difficult seasons, and if we can always remember, God is in charge. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Marshall, and I am the pastor of Family Ministries to youth and young adults. Um, super excited. And just, just before I begin, uh, I just wanted to encourage you, as, just as a pastor, that I am super excited what is happening at our church. And I just, I really, really want you to know that. I want you to understand that I'm excited that God has started something unique and amazing in Huntsville. He'll continue to do what he does. We just, like pastors and our directors, we love Mark, we love our elders, we love our lead pastor, Kai, we love what God is doing through challenges. I'm excited to be here. I just say as a church, let's just stay on our knees, let's keep in the word, let's focus on the cross, and let's just keep moving forward. Let's just pray this morning as we enter. Jesus, I pray, I pray this morning that you would give us just a real closeness to you this morning. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds. Whatever you would have us learn from your word, God, may it not be from Marshall's mouth, may it not be from what I say, may it just be from you. May you give us guidance and understanding and wisdom as we speak, as we hear, as we listen, as we learn this morning. Amen. One of my students always makes fun of the way pastors always say this morning. This really gets in my head, so I'm trying not to say this morning, but I'll probably say it a lot. Now it's going to get in my head even more. Now you're going to count it. But as a, as a youth pastor, um, we were, were into a new series, and the last series started in September, and it was the Sermon on the Mount series, and as we're wrapping it up in the early part of 2023, one of the final messages was the tree and its fruit. So if you're new to the Bible, you don't really know the tree and its fruit, it's about a healthy tree, a good faith bears good fruit. So the challenge in the next portion, we're calling it release your worship, which is as you know Christ, as you've accepted his goodness in your life, as you repented of your sin, there's a natural response, which is that we release our worship in different ways as we're different people. But we're called to release our worship. We're called to show those good fruits. In fact, the start of the Sermon on the Mount says, Let your good deeds shine before men that they might praise your heavenly Father. So if you're a follower of Christ, then we have a response that comes out of us. If you've been saved by Jesus, you know what that means in your life. If you're here this morning, you said, yeah, I know what that means in my life. The natural response is something comes out of us. Good fruit comes out of us. So the question that we challenge our students with and the question we'll challenge you this morning is, this morning, uh, what is your response to salvation? What is your response what is your release of worship? How do you release your worship? What do you do? How do you act? So that's why, this, that's why I'm landing on this passage, this text. Oh, it's gonna kill me. They warned me about it too. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Don't even care this morning. Okay, let's get past it. This morning, this morning, we're gonna look at just a really, just a bizarre story. It's a fantastic story, a remarkable story about, this is weird, about a woman who's been bleeding or hemorrhaging for 12 years. Open with me to Luke. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, in front of you is a Bible, and it's page 959 in that blue Bible. It doesn't apply to yours if you brought your own, so don't just look at 959 and try to figure out where I'm going. We're at Luke 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke 8. 43 to 48. It says, There is this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garments, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive the power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And to her, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is a fascinating story fascinating story if you're if you're looking at ancient texts trying to p- proclaim someone as king you see different types of stories here we have a we have this unique story captured in scripture we're talking about sorry ladies it's not our culture and their culture a lower class group of people just women in that culture were lower class Then we're going to toss on the fact that she was poor maybe even homeless as she spent all of her living on physicians so you have a woman, then you have an p- impoverished, maybe a homeless woman, then you're going to add on that she's been bleeding for 12 years, so she's also dirty and unclean. The fact, like, it's not, this isn't dealing with a large-scale revolution or an issue between the Romans and the Jews or a huge, giant miracle, it's just dealing with one single woman, one single, very personal issue, it seems strange to make this story so well-known, and it's not just in Matthew, Mark, and it's in Luke, it's in all three, and there's, there's a reason why Christ wants us to know this, why the Spirit inspired to get this story to us. He just does things very differently, Jesus does. So this story, we're, where we're at is where actually Jesus is well-known, and he's making his way to a man named Jairus, who is the leader, like the head of a synagogue, so a fairly wealthy man probably a well-known man, and he's got a daughter who is sick. So Jesus is making his way to her house. Weird caveat, she dies, and Jesus rises her back to life. Great story, different message. Fantastic, though, Rita. But in, in the middle of this happening, that's where this story takes place. In the middle of this process of going to raise the dead to life, this single woman story takes place. He's making his way to the house, and Crowds are pressing in. People are probably tugging, yelling, pulling, wanting to be part of Jesus, wanting to see what's happening. And just so we know how, how well-known Jesus is at this time, we're going to back up to the start of Luke. And I'll just read some of the things that Jesus has done at this point. Back in early chapter 4, chapter four of Luke, he's healed many, many people. He's healed the leper and the paralytic. John the Baptist, who was well-known, has now confirmed him as the Messiah Jesus has um, done his incredibly famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, starting to make Pharisees a little bit nervous, starting to understand what he's saying about himself, and they don't really like it. He's healed a centurion's servant. He's cast demons from the demon-possessed man, another well-known one. He's silenced the seas. He's speaking parables over large groups and so much more. He was well-known. They're not, they're not sitting in their houses watching their flat screens hidden from all society. These people are out and about. They're known. He's known in towns and cities. And you can kind of see this scene. You can kind of be like, oh, man, Jairus is a well-known synagogue leader. His daughter is sick. Jesus is going, and, and people want to see. They want to watch what's going to happen. So they're gathering around and pressing in in the little streets, and they're just closing in, and that's when we meet this woman. According to culture, this woman is unclean. In fact, she is fully aware of it. Sure, the pervasive teaching at the time was that she would have to consider herself unclean. That's all they talk about. That's probably all they tell her. But she's not just physically unclean. Of course, in the Middle East, 2,000 years ago, hemorrhaging all the time, that would be physically unclean. But she's also ritualistically unclean. To the Jewish rabbinical law, in the way we say it, it would be Talmud. I think they'd say Talmud. Don't know. Just throwing it out there. In the Talmud... This kind of impurity is called Tumah. It's ritually unclean, defined by the Jewish ceremonial law. It means because of her bleeding, or it can apply to other people because of their illness or diseases that make them physically unclean, she is considered impure. This woman is impure wherever she goes. In fact, she would have to wait until eight days after any bleeding occurs to be pure, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. So for this length of time, she's seen as impure and dirty. According to the tuma, anything she touched from people or a chair, inanimate objects, anything, also becomes unclean. And they had to be ritualistically cleansed before they could even be used. That means this: she couldn't go to any stores. She couldn't buy anything. She couldn't go into the temple, she couldn't use public bathrooms, she couldn't go to restaurants, she just wasn't welcome anywhere. And the religious leaders at the time, they would, this is even, it's just even worse, they would see diseases, illnesses, sickness as a punishment from God. So they would say, okay, because she's sick, she's being punished by God, so she's deserving and she's deeply sinful, they would see these people, not just her, but blind people or homeless people or beggars, people with diseases, they would see them as punishments from God, deserving what they get, so all of society, by the leaders of the religious, would just shun these people out of existence. That's what she was taught, that's what she was known, and that's what she would have probably believed. This is bizarre, and there's a, there's a sect of Pharisees called the blind. They're also known as the bruised and the bleeding. In this sect of Pharisee, in, in, in the, in the uh, I forgot how I pronounce it, the Tachmud, there were seven types of Pharisees. One of them was blind. And this is, this is crazy. Because of their holiness and their self-righteousness and how good they thought about themselves, if a woman was in the area, these types of Pharisees, the blind, would close their eyes, look the other way, and keep walking. If there was someone diseased, someone ill, someone begging, they were so holy, so righteous, they wouldn't even look at them. That's how they get the name the bruised and the bleeding. They would close their eyes and bonk into walls and bricks, and they would be bruised and bleeding. And these bruises and bleeding were assigned to other people of how holy they were, how righteous they were, how good they were. In fact, in Matthew 15 14, Jesus very well may have been referring to these as. When he says, so ignore them, they are, blinds, they are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they'll both fall into a ditch. Like, put yourself in her position. Knowing, knowing all this culture here, knowing like the social networks, how everybody views her, how the religious view her, how it would have trickled down to society and culture. Think about how hopeless the situation was. What an awful position to be in. She spent all of her money. She spent everything she's got, doctors, trying to get this fixed, trying to get this cured. And even, even Luke, who wrote this as a doctor, seems to imply through the text that it's incurable. How hopeless is this situation? And her shame and her position, she doesn't feel like she can walk up to this rabbi, to this Jesus, to this person that is healing and ask for healing. But there's something about her. There's, there's something about her that she believes by faith. And maybe she's seen what Jesus has done. She's definitely heard what Jesus can do. And maybe she understands prophecy and, and hears what John is saying about the Messiah has come. And maybe she's seeing some of the things Jesus can do and, and she's putting these together and she just just wants to get closer because her faith tells her that, that this Jesus can heal her. Just a, a little side note for myself. I know that there is so many times where I've just, i had this sin stain in my heart sin stain in my life actions i've done that that make just make me want to push myself away from religious things make me want to like separate myself either from like being in the word maybe i avoid church maybe i avoid close relationship with other christians cuz i'm fearful of the judgment fearful of what's going to happen but i just feel dirty or i feel stained i feel like i can't i can't quite approach come in the front door of the church i can't quite do that cuz i feel like I just feel maybe like this lady, just unclean. I just feel like I'm stained. There might even be people here at the church this morning that feels like, man, it's hard to come in church. It's hard to walk into a place where, let's be honest, maybe, not saying this is true about our church, but maybe the church system over the years have have kind of acted pharisaical, acted like Pharisees, saying, you're not quite ready to come here. You're not quite clean enough to come here. You're not quite good enough to come here. Maybe we've put that out, and people just don't feel like they can approach Boldly for help. I mean, I'm a disaster sometimes in my life. It doesn't feel like I fit in with the Christian culture. I feel like maybe that's what this woman is going through. I feel like that because you see how she approaches Jesus. And it's kind of like sneaking in the back door, no offense to the people in the back corner, but like sneaking in the back door, just hiding off to the side. Like you still want, you still want to hear about truth and hope. You just don't feel like you're worthy. So in 44, verse 44, look, she says, She came up behind and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Like she just she just wants she just wants a piece of Jesus. She just wants to be healed. She doesn't feel worthy. She doesn't feel un. Uncle- she doesn't feel clean. She doesn't feel like she has a place. She knows that nobody would probably want her near him. She, if she squeezed through the crowd, they would be unclean. They don't want. But so she just kind of comes from behind Jesus and just reaches out because there's something about her that has told her that if she just reaches out to Jesus, if she, if she could just reach Jesus, that he would take care of it, that he would clean her. And then, and then she was immediately healed. She was immediately healed. The the faith of a desperate, unclean, lowly valued, unworthy woman. This is an incredible picture of faith. In fact, here's what I love. In that culture, if she touches anything, it becomes unclean. And what does Jesus do? He comes and totally reverses it. That when she touches him, he doesn't become unclean, but in her unrighteousness, she reads out to him and he gives her his righteousness. Righteousness. He makes her clean in a culture which says he should be then unclean. Jesus just does things differently. Look at 45. Verse 45, Jesus says, who was that that just touched me? It seems like a peculiar response. Like someone just touched you, Jesus, all the power flowed out of you, fully healed her, and you don't know who just touched you? That seems like a weird thing. It seems odd that he would ask, who just touched me? But he kind of lets them murmur quietly. Look at, we continue on. He lets them murmur a little bit. Peter said, master, the crowd surrounds you Are pressing in on you. Um, Jesus, everybody's here. They're pushing you around. Everybody is touching you. And 46, Jesus says, no, 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 listen. Someone touched me for I perceive that the power went out of me. This is, this is just awesome part of text. You gotta look at what she does. 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she comes trembling, falling down before him, and then declares in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. There is so much in her response here. There's so much in this little tiny verse of her response. First, she comes before a king that just fully healed her. And she comes in fear, recognizing who he is. She comes trembling before Jesus and does the first thing that I did when I met Christ was I just fell down before him. Because that's what you do. When you're like restored from your sin and you feel the freedom of Christ, the only thing you can do is tremble before a God that restored you and you just fall on your face Before the Messiah. She recognizes who Jesus is. And because of her sin, she sees her restoration. And she falls and trembles before Jesus. Amen. And this is like, this is so good. This is crazy good. Then she declares. She just declares something really loud. She doesn't say quietly. She doesn't sit back. She doesn't go to her corner. She doesn't talk to her small group only. She does this. She declares in front of all the people. Two things, two things she declares in front of all the people. And in context of what, where we started the message, this is how this woman releases her worship immediately after being healed, immediately after being fully healed from a disease of 12 years where she was unwanted, unloved, unworthy, unvalued, fully sinful. She immediately, her response to Jesus Christ to the release of her worship is that she would close her eyes, she would tremble, she would fall on, her, on the ground before Jesus and then she declares in front of everyone two things. She says, firstly, Why she had touched him. Why? Because she was sinful and unclean. The first thing she does after trembling, befalling before Jesus, a part of her declaration is saying, I was unclean. I touched Jesus because I was unclean. It's why she reached out. She declares to everybody, and I just think of that verse, I probably say far too often, in my message is 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. She's confessing her sins. I was unclean, I reached out to him. In a group of all the people who would know about her uncleanliness, she declares she's unclean. And then the second one, she instantly tells her testimony how she was immediately healed. Like she publicly expresses the power of Jesus in her life. There was immediate healing. There was immediate healing healing. In that culture, she openly admits she's unclean, and then she testifies to the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that as I touched him, he immediately healed me. This is such a sweet response. This is such like a powerful public declaration. What a response in our hearts. What like a worship release. This woman is, is standing up. You gotta like just picture all the stuff we said, how much shame she would be in, and then she just recognized she's healed, and she says to everybody, I reached out because I was sinful and unclean and now I'm immediately healed. I'm going to do a, an odd thing. I'm going to take a quick side jaunt. This seems weird. feels like I'm doing a whole different message. Stay with me. It's not. We're going to go to Revelation. Flip to the very end. You can keep your thumb there, but flip to the very end. We're going to look at Revelation 12 just for a moment. It's going to feel weird. We can talk about dragons, but we're going to get there. Revelation 12, 9 to 11. Okay, here's what it says. And the great, if you have a pen in front of you or something, just this is a great part, to circle, put little arrows at, highlight, even if it's one of the blue Bibles, that's okay. And the, and the great dragon was thrown down the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down to him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser. For our brothers have been thrown down who accuse him day and night and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives even unto death. Here's why I bring this in. Listen, we are at a war against sin. We are at a war against culture. We are at a war that never ends against our enemy. But but here's what we do. If you want to conquer this dragon, literally Satan, if you want to defeat the Satan, it's done two ways. One, by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, the work on the cross, and then by the word of our testimony. Like it's the word of your testimony, what God has done in your life. She hits both of these perfectly perfectly. Like, she's like, I'm a sinner, I'm unclean, he made me clean, and now I'm healed. She just nails it, she drops her testimony, she drops the healing nature of Jesus Christ, and there's, there's so much talk today about revival, there's so much desire to see re- revival. If you want to actually see a revival, first know it's the Spirit who's going to lead that, but start sharing your testimony, Sharp. start like, publicly declaring what Jesus has done in your life, how he's changed you, how everything is different because what, you don't have to be a great preacher. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have every verse memorized. You need to start preaching your testimony of what God has done in your life. In fact, there's another story. It's gonna feel like another message. I'm not doing it. I'm just gonna hit on it for a second. It's very similar to this story. You remember the woman at the, at the well, the Samaritan woman. Same lowliness, same low value, like sexual sin, no worth, no value. She can't even go with the other women to the well, so she's with Jesus at the well. I'm just going to read. I just want you to see the response of her when she meets Christ, just really quickly. In John 4, you don't have to go there. I'll, I'll read it. You can. John chapter 4, 28 says, leaving her, water jar, leaving her water jar, the woman just went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And a few verses later, 39, so many of the Samaritans, listen to this, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe because what you said, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. This woman loaded with sin meets Jesus, gets restored, restored runs back through the town and starts saying, you gotta understand, he knew all my sins. And because of that, people start to believe Jesus. They go and meet Jesus and they're like, it's not because of you anymore, I met him, I have seen it. I've experienced this, he is the savior of the world. I mean, preaching your testimony of what Jesus has done, that can spark a revival as the Holy Spirit moves through those who listen. Two broken, sinful, unloved, outcast women they're just saying this, they're just saying, I was a sinner. And then Jesus came and restored me. And listen, the significance of our testimony of what God has done of our lives, listen, it is earth shattering information. It's revival starting, dragon slaying, hope restoring, church reviving, Christ glorifying, disciple making. All of that is in the power of your spirit when you start to declare what God has done. That's how we release our worship of Jesus, of what he's done, of the the salvation we get from Christ. We just start to speak from our mouths of the goodness of God in our lives. We tell people over and over what Jesus has done. We tell them our story, and we love not our lives even unto death. That means at the cost of being ostracized, at the cost of being mocked, at the cost of being ridiculed, at the cost of being rejected, we just preach what God has done. That is the response to being saved from eternal damnation, As we preach how good God is in our lives. So back to the story. There's just a little caveat. Why did Jesus call her out? Why did Christ kind of loudly say, who was it? Who was it that did this? Who reached out? I felt the power come out of me. I think Jesus wanted everybody in this area to see this woman's faith and to hear her testimony. He knew who it was, by the way. But he wants her to step out in faith. He wants her to step out, one, so that she would know that she's loved and she does not need to hide anymore because she's no longer unclean, but Jesus' work has made her clean. She doesn't need to hide anymore. She can step out and by, because of what Jesus has done She can publicly say that I'm clean. And she also has worth. Like Jesus wants to show her she has worth. Worth because of his work. Worth because of his redemption. Jesus doesn't listen. He doesn't just call her out from the crowd. He does even something sweeter. He just calls her daughter. Like... Like, you, you have to think of the leaders at the time that would have thought of her as disgusting and filthy, not worthy to be seen. They'd rather bleed than even look at this woman. And Jesus just, like, just scoops down. He just says, daughter, like, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, it's go in peace. King of peace is here. I've made you well. I've redeemed you. I've restored you. He calls her daughter. It's, and he, there's nothing that she particularly did, was it? Like, it's not the garment that healed her. It's not, it's not her getting there that healed her. It's, he says, it's your faith. It's your faith in me that made you well. It's your faith in knowing who I am. It's your faith in reaching out to me as a Messiah, saying, you know I can heal you because of who I am. I'm Jesus, the Son of God. And you reached out, and that's what healed you. Sons and daughters. We get to be called sons and daughters. I've heard it said, Preach the gospel every day to yourself. Preach the gospel when you wake up so you recognize that because of your sin that you've separated yourself from a holy God, but because of Christ's goodness, he has redeemed and restored us back to God. So when we look at this story, I wouldn't want to end without looking at where the gospel is. Sin has separated us from a perfect God. We are like this woman in this story because of our sin. We are unclean and unworthy and unholy. But Jesus does what he did to her. He does to us. We reach out with him in faith, knowing who he is, calling him who he is, and he restores us. He calls us clean. He calls us holy. He makes us worthy. He makes us righteous. There's two parts to this. There's, this, there's this one part where he calls us daughter, he calls us son, he brings us into his family, he adopts us as sons and daughters, and immediately we have the inheritance of a king, which is a pretty incredible thing. My question to you is, and, and this is for those who maybe you don't know Christ, maybe you're just here, maybe you're figuring things out, there's a lot of new faces I don't know, I'd love to meet you, maybe this morning you're just, you're wondering, where, where am I in this place? Am I broken? Am I dirty? Am I unclean? Does my sin separate me from a holy God? My first response to this story is the gospel, the good news is that Christ wants to restore you right now, today, this morning. He's saying, reach out to me, reach out to Jesus, and he will restore you from your broken and your sinful place. Maybe you'll find courage like this woman did to reach out and ask for forgiveness of your sins and immediately be healed. Then there's another part, and I don't want to skip past it. While the greater story of this is the full redemptive work of Christ, there is another story, and it's about a physical healing. It's about an actual healing of this woman, and I don't want to pass by this because we as a church believe fully that God can and will physically heal those he chooses to. We can't bypass that. God is a God of healing. He's the great physician. He will heal you if you have a disease or sickness uh, according to his will and his time and how he chooses God does still heal. So I want to say if you want this morning, you want to come and approach here for prayer, we would love to pray with you, but there's something sweet in here I don't want you to miss. Of course, we will pray with you. We would love to pray with you. But you'll see that this woman just approached Jesus on her own. There's no need to run to a rabbi, no need to run to a pastor. We have a, a great father who we can just approach and bring our requests through Jesus because of his work to the father. So you have freedom this morning to talk to Abba Father. Say, Jesus, heal me. Heal me from my sin and heal me from my disease and my sickness and let God work through your life. Worship team, as you come up, let me ask you again. I don't want to make this misconstrued. If you want prayer this morning, we as a church would love to pray with you. I'll sit up front afterwards. We'll have our elder Mark will come up and we'll sit with you. We'll have a pastor. Please come pray with us. We would love to pray with you. If you're a Christian, how are you releasing your worship this morning? How are you releasing it this week? How are you releasing it this month? What does it look like in your life from the moment you became Christ until this point? What are you doing? My hope as you leave this is you'll start to think through your testimony. What was it? What were you like before Christ? What called you to Christ? And what is your life like after Christ? That's our story that we are called. That is a way to release our worship to a world that is in desperate need to hear it. Desperate need. So share your testimony. Share what God has done. Watch what he will do. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do. We thank you for this picture, this odd story of this woman and her disease. God, I pray that we would apply this to our life, look at it in our lives, and see how it affects us, and see what your message to us is. What is your intention for this story? God, I pray that you would work miracles in us and through us. God, I pray as a church that we would gather more together, that we would pray more, that we would share our testimony, that as we walk out these doors, every store, every business, every place, every homeschool, every school that we, that we work in and we attend would start to hear the testimony of what God has done in our lives, and we would stand up, we would declare before all the people that we were sick and God made us clean the testimony of our lives. God, thank you for your sweet goodness and your holy and perfect name, amen. Church, stand with us while we worship.